4: Mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hi, happy mess. I'm Zuri Hall and this is Hot, Hot happy, happy Mess. Oh, shoot. <laughs> What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Hot, Happy Mess. I am your host, Zuri Hall. And today we are talking about um technically a diagnosis uh, that oftentimes in in this day and age is misdiagnosed or inaccurately slapped on people who we don't understand or who are complicated or um, you know who may have some problematic tendencies but may not necessarily be a narcissist. Uh, we hear the word thrown around all the time. I think a lot of us have experienced or had interaction or had interactions with, Legitimate narcissists. And then I think also a lot of us have just had interactions with people who were slightly problematic or who, you know, displayed self-centered qualities or maybe came across as arrogant or selfish for whatever reason. Um, And then if you ask them, maybe they have... An explanation for that. Maybe they feel the same in the reverse about the person who's who's calling them a narcissist, right? Um, and as we have heard this word sort of thrown around more and more, I've become increasingly um, interested in what actually makes a narcissist. What actually qualifies? Who actually qualifies as a narcissist? Can you exhibit narcissistic behavior without technically being a narcissist, or is it kind of an all or nothing? deal. Um, A friend of the show, Nedra Glover-Tawab, actually posted something recently that was just so spot on and kind of gave words to this feeling that I've had that, you know, a few of my friends have had when we talk about this stuff. And she recently posted and said, Narcissism is now a buzzword to describe a complicated person. It's rare for someone to be clinically diagnosed with narcissism, and yet so many people are labeled by non-mental health professionals as a narcissist. In a one-on-one relationship and without the proper assessment tools, people are misdiagnosed as narcissists when they demonstrate problematic behaviors. Diagnosing people without a professional is a breeding ground for misinformation let 's go back to describing behavior as mean self centered deceitful, or suspicious without labeling a person a narcissist. I think those are really wise words i couldn 't agree more um, and then also, on rare occasion you 're dealing with a narcissist so that 's what this episode is for <laughs> um, to hopefully get some clarity around what is or isn 't narcissistic behavior when and how to know that you may have a problem on your hands um, and also what to do about it. Uh, This episode is really interesting because it is a real woman, real story combined with um, some really impactful and helpful words of wisdom and education from a licensed marriage and family therapist. And what I find so interesting um, about you know, our conversation and about her story, which she was so vulnerable and open and sharing. And I'm really grateful for that is that she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and was also married to a narcissist. You know, I think that's a really, um, a really prime example of, you know, sometimes you just don't know, or you don't realize until it's too late. Even when you might have the training, the education and or tools to identify problematic behavior like this. I hope that through listening, you have a little more compassion for yourself if you feel like you're going through a similar situation or concerned that you might be, um, and that you have some takeaways. So, we are going to dive right in. Shireen Pekar is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and Florida. She's been practicing psychotherapy for over 10 years. Shireen brings a unique sense of warmth, optimism, awareness, and collaboration to her work with clients, and her areas of specialty include complex PTSD divorce, and mindful parenting. Here we go. Shireen Pekar is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and Florida. She's been practicing psychotherapy for over 10 years, and Shireen brings a unique sense of warmth, optimism, awareness, and collaboration to her work with clients, and her areas of specialty include complex PTSD, divorce, and mindful parenting. Welcome, Shireen. How are you?
5: I am well. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Zuri. Um, yeah, same here. Thank you so
4: much for for joining us. Um, you know, to just dive right into the obvious with today's episode, narcissism, narcissists. I think in this day and age, just speaking from my own perspective, the term gets thrown around so wildly, so loosely these days. If an ex breaks up with you, they're a narcissist. If you, if they're just like annoying or a little bit self-centered, they're a narcissist. If, if they're yes. enforcing boundaries sometimes, sometimes they're healthy behaviors and they're a narcissist because they're not giving, you know, so it's just one of those things where I was like, I would love to sit down with a, a licensed therapist, a trained professional to help us figure out um, what a narcissist actually is, what the red flags are, um, and when we should also maybe be extending grace to the people in our lives or considering that something else might be going on. So I'm almost just as interested in figuring out who isn't a narcissist as fully understanding who is.
5: Yes. Yes. It's such a good question because it's so true that it's now the the word narcissist is being thrown out so much. And it's like the modern day, oh my ex was crazy kind of thing, you know. In those times when they just be like, oh my ex was crazy. Now it's my ex is a narcissist. Um, so essentially, you know, narcissists, they there are many traits that go into this personality, and um, just that that self absorption or that selfishness is not exactly the only trait that we need to have in order to be able to call it clinically narcissistic personality disorder. So usually narcissists will have um, definitely this sense of difficulty or underdeveloped uh, empathy, you know, difficulty really truly empathizing with people, being able to put themselves in someone else's shoes to really feel what that person feels or to even experience, to, to even understand how their behavior is being experienced by someone else. That's one of the, the key ones. Um, there's entitlement. That's a big one. You know, I'm special. I'm sort of God's gift to the earth. I'm so great. And that's all that. Bit of um, a grandiosity. Complex. Yes. Yes, definitely. And that could be kind of overt or covert. It could mm. be, um, you know, an outward kind of grandiose presentation with I'm so great. I'm so special. Or it could be, I'm so special, but nobody sees it. Nobody knows. You know? And, yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, oh, oh, okay. See, now (laughs) I'm like so excited to
5: talk more because,
4: you know, we've all had our, I won't say we all, but I, Many of us have had experiences uh, with narcissistic behavior, uh, maybe at times displayed narcissistic behavior. Um, But what is really interesting to me about what you just said at the end there is um, sometimes the God complex or these ideas of grandeur aren't necessarily displayed to the outside world. It's um, an internal monologue. It's something that their closest, closest, and I use that term very loosely, um, loved ones, I kind of use that term very loosely to uh hear the most about. No one understands me. No one sees how great I am. The world is against me. If only they knew. Um and so when I I started experiencing that once in a very casual dating situation. And I was so confused because I thought, okay, this guy is extremely handsome. He's very charming. He seems so emotionally intelligent. Our conversations are so deep. He's so smart. He's so, um, he's on it. Like he sees me. He's he's very quick mm-hmm. to dissect and um, yeah. he can read people very well. And then as we continued to get to know each other, these tiny little red flags started popping up where, you know, if there was an ex he had, it was their fault that things fell apart, even though, mm-hmm. and I, I won't get specific about the things but everything he told me made it sound like it was very much his fault that that relationship ended there was some bad behavior on his end but it it was her fault because because and it was the the other lady's fault because she knew he was vulnerable at that time and so all of these things I'm just like that's so bizarre and then um he started to um I felt like maybe test me a little bit, like in very subtle ways, start to push boundaries. And that started to feel like more familiar narcissistic behavior yes. to see how far he could go. And um, it never was overt or over the top or loud. We'd go out though. And as soon as we walked in, he had to find someone to to insult to me under his breath. And it was such a turn off. or, oh God, that person, like how unattractive are they? And I'm just like, this is so bizarre. Like- that person is minding their business, eating lunch, and you just feel the need to quietly tear down people in any space you're in to sort of build yourself up. So I started talking to my therapist about it, and she's like, have you heard of covert narcissism? <laughs> yes. I had not. So can you please, Shireen, yes, uh, yes. just go into a little bit of what covert narcissism sure. is?
5: So you described in just two minutes, not even two minutes, the other pieces of the, the components of that narcissistic personality. And so there's a big umbrella, right, of like mm-hmm. uh, lack of empathy and you know entitlement and grandiosity and lack of accountability. And so there's a, this big umbrella, but beneath that are those kinds of types, personality, narcissistic personality types, and um, we can totally go into that. That that that's a great idea actually, because we're kind of moving into this different type of narcissist, which is again like the low key narcissist or the vulnerable. It's more mm-hmm. the victimized kind of complainy, um, arrogant, but more like, again, victimized, right? Like what you described was this, I'm better in a way, you know, I'm better, but I'm, but I'm, it's, I'm victimized. Nobody yeah. sees, you know, how great I am um, yeah. kind of place. And then even that, what you described a minute ago about beneath his breath, needing to devalue and kind of put down. In sort of criticize people. That is again a very common narcissistic trait as well, you know, where it's like others are beneath me. So there's a quiet rage with the covert, there's a quiet mm-hmm. anger. Um, mm-hmm. There's more of like a judgmental kind of personality rather than this outward criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, so the covert is, I have a lot of experience, unfortunately, personally, as well with the covert. So I-, it, I are you To
4: the extent that you are willing to share, I would sure. love for you to sort of contextualize sure. that from your own personal yeah. perspective.
5: Sure. So I was actually married to someone who I learned later, unfortunately, during the divorce is a covert narcissist. Wow. And these are the ones that are very hard to see. Like you said, it comes off initially very- um normal, right? Like healthy. There's no real love bombing. I don't know about you. Did you experience it? Nope, no, bombing? Love, just, he no love bombing. Just you love super bombing. present,
4: charming in a very yes. non suspicious
5: way. Just totally seemed like a catch. Totally. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but then things start to kind of creep in. And the deeper you get, as you experience as well, the deeper you get into these relationships the more those sort of low-key, maybe pink flags become red flags. Like you also mentioned the lack of accountability there. Everything is everybody else's fault. Yep. And then it's yep. over time, then it becomes you. Everything is now your fault Yeah. as we're oh in this kind God. of bubble relationally.
4: And, and that, yes, that's exactly wow. when I was like, okay, I think it's time for a conversation with my therapist. Because it, it got to the point where it was my fault for his bad behaviors. Like suddenly I became what uh-huh. everyone else in his life he had explained how they yep. were to him, right? Like, oh, this person let me down. This person just let me down. My yeah. my family member, they just let me down. And I started to sense this theme. I'm like, every you must either pick really bad people to be in your life, or mm-hmm. everyone can't be disappointing in letting you down. And I started to think, I would love to talk to these people and hear their sides of the story because my gut told me there was another side. Once I also became one of the people like he would show up late somewhere and then be frustrated that I was even holding him accountable for being late instead Absolutely. of just being like, I'm sorry, yeah. it's totally my bad. And yes. it, it was, it was such a subtle pivot and he was never angry or sort of boisterous about it. Um, it was almost like I let him down or disappointed yeah. him for not buying into his bullshit, quite frankly,
5: mm-hmm. but it was you. always you so chill that chilled, and I'm like,
4: this isn't. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe what? Yeah. Hold on. I feel mind Yeah. So I feel like something's wrong here. Totally.
5: <laughs> totally. I mean, I love the way that you're describing it because what you're explaining is the exact experience that people in these relationships have. But when you don't have um, maybe a super strong intuition and or narcissist is really good at what they do. You know, I was a therapist and I didn't know. Yeah. I was a therapist. You know. Right. I didn't it, learn this in school. I didn't no, we no, don't really not the covert the go- the overt grandiose is like the textbooked one that's yep. the textbook um narcissist that we learn about and that's like the the one that you could see in the room right like the one that mm-hmm. you could pick up on because they're taking all that energy in the room but the yeah. covert like you say is really good at appearing empathic or maybe even like mirroring your empathy yes doing the things that they know they should do, watching other people's kind of empathy and sort of mirroring that to get you to feel like you're being heard and seen. But Mm. usually it's more like, all right, this is my hook. This is how I'm going to get her to trust me. This is how I'm going to get her to be vulnerable with me. Um, But you have a very strong intuition and I love that you recognize those internal weird feelings about this person and you checked in. For some people, that may happen, but we excuse it. We excuse mm. the behavior. Oh, he's stressed. Oh, he's in grad school. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, this person just died. Oh, any excuse we could find, we excuse it. And it, this victimized covert kind of pulls on our heartstrings. Mm. You, sent, you, you could have easily been feeling for him and really supplying him through your oh, oh my gosh, how horrible of your ex to do that to you, right? That's the supply of the covert gets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, I,
4: um, I was starting to just recently in this past year, learn about some of the terminology around narcissism and Mm -hmm. that narcissistic supply is something that I learned about. What I realized in my situation was I am an empath and I can be very empathic. Sometimes I almost feel like i pull away or just like disappear because it becomes overwhelming for me sometimes Mm -hmm. the things that I feel. So that's like a whole different conversation. Um, But I realized that he was mirroring me. So when you said mirror, it just like the lights go off because he was really good at, adapting and sort of shape-shifting in real time, which can be a superpower that you use for good or for bad, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, this guy really he gets me. He sees it. He's so considerate. Um, but then when he started showing all these red flags, I thought something can't be adding up. How can he be so empathic and yet suddenly be completely oblivious to his behaviors or how it might be making me feel? And um, when I started to push back, that's when the masks slipped when i stopped politely chuckling and just letting things go when i stopped excusing small problematic behaviors and sort mm-hmm. of asked him okay so what was this about and he'd say blah 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 insert bs here and i'd go mm-hmm. well that doesn't really add up because you just said this yesterday so mm-hmm. like how do we bridge the gap not accusing him just like how do we make that make sense because what you're saying today is not in alignment with what you said yesterday and I noticed he would get more frustrated and um just shorter and like there were no more explanations. And I realized I was cutting off his supply or at least the supply that he was getting from me because where I used to be this listening empathic ear and I heard his sob stories and I tried to provide support and make him feel better about the people in his life who were just causing him so much pain. Once that stopped, I was really of no use to him in that way, which is you know, a bummer to realize that that might've been what it was all about, but good God, better sooner than later.
5: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And for every narcissist, supply can look differently. You know, it could be like for the grandiose, it's, it's look how great I am. Give me that praise and recognition, you know, notice me, tell me, give me those awards and accolades, you know, or compliment my outfit and tell me how beautiful I am. You know, mm-hmm. so for that grandiose, it's that way, but you're right for the covert it it can commonly be feed me when I'm giving you that victimized bullshit you mm-hmm. know take you take mm-hmm. accountability right. it, take that you know it's it's your fault that I'm late, right? like mm-hmm. you need to roll yeah. with it, don't hold up that kind of um accountability mirror mm-hmm. for me they don't, they don't like that kind of thing. accountability is another hallmark. Like that doesn't authentic accountability doesn't exist really in mm-hmm. this kind of narcissistic personality disorder picture because okay, that okay. triggers shame. That could uh, be a very is, big trigger of shame.
4: And is that just something that a true narcissist just doesn't like to feel, doesn't want to feel, doesn't know what to do with those emotions? All of it. All mm. of it.
5: Yeah. Yeah, so if you look at the core of a narcissist, one of the core things is insecurity and um, deep, deep, like I'm flawed from my core kind of thing. Mm. But everything they do is to overcompensate for that core sense of defectiveness and unworthiness. And so the presentation to the world could be either grandiose and I'm so wonderful and look at my career and look at all that I have, or it could sort of be covert for me, but at the end of the day, they don't—they don't, they don't want to feel that deep insecurity. And if you point out things that may trigger that for them, and it very, very—not not, not even intentionally—point out those things, right? Mistakes or you were late, right? It triggers a sense of shame. And when they feel shame, they feel angry. Mm-hmm. It's not like the healthy ability to hold doing things wrong, right? Mistakes or flaws, you know, a healthy kind of character can hold, our egos can hold when we make mistakes or when we do things wrong or when we're not perfect. But for Mm -hmm. a narcissist, that's a really, that's a core wound that they're trying to kind of conceal through other overcompensation kind of things that they overcompensate through. Does that make sense?
4: Absolutely. What really stuck out was, was when you said when a narcissist feels shame, they feel anger. It's yes. like they just have to rebuke it. They can't sit with it, accept it, say, I'm sorry exactly. I hurt you and mean exactly. it. Exactly.
5: Exactly. Mm, okay. But sometimes it's tricky because we'll see, I have clients that I'll see and I'll say, well, but this person apologizes and That's where it gets a little bit confusing for people because then they're like, well, they can apologize. They can say, I'm sorry for doing this, or I'm sorry for being late. But the, I'm sorry is more, Hey, let's just move on from this. Or it's shut up already. Like stop complaining Mm -hmm. or it's, I'm sorry, but guess what? I want this in half an hour. And if I want this and I'm willing to do whatever it takes and that's fine, I'll apologize to you right now because I know in half an hour, I'm going to ask you for that.
4: Wow. So the apology so, is really just a trade. They're purchasing what they want with it.
5: Exactly. It's self-serving.
4: Okay. It's not real.
5: It's not real. It's not a real, a real apology is like, I'm sorry I did this. I want to hear about your experience of how my behavior affected you. Right. one That's one thing narcissists can't hold. Um let's talk about how we can make amends and, and how I can make amends and change my behavior. Here's what I'm doing. And mm. ultimately it's not doing it over and over like the narcissistic person does. Mm. It's just okay. The apology. Okay. In five minutes, I'm going to do that again to you. Right. Right. Is it possible
4: for us as humans, as people to display narcissistic behaviors every now and then, have a narcissistic moment without being labeled or defined as a narcissist, like a card-carrying member?
5: Oh, God. A membership no one wants to have. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. um, I'd say that narcissistic personality, again, is a compilation of many, many traits, and it's on a spectrum. And we can show up, for example, if someone criticizes you, you're going to kind of get defensive, right? And that is Mm -hmm. a common narcissistic behavior as well, to get defensive. But we can, you know, first of all, we don't have all of those characteristics or majority of them. Mm -hmm. Narcissists need to have like 10 of 13
4: Mm -hmm. traits. Okay. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. There is truly like a scale or sort of a system... To, and if you have enough identifying markers, that's when the exactly. label would come in.
5: Exactly. And the the thing is, too, diagnostically as a therapist, the issue is that we can't really diagnose someone with NPD unless they show up and they're like, here are, here are the, the issues in my life as a result of my behaviors. Example, or as a result of my characteristics, and narcissists don't do that. You know, I was going to say,
4: wouldn't a narcissist yeah. not even be able to show up and say that
5: <laughs> most of the time? You know, yeah. but sometimes we'll find people who maybe can can say, oh yeah, I am kind of self absorbed, and I do, I can kind of show up entitled, and and am um, kind of perfectionistic, and and maybe a little controlling, and I do need a lot of approval. I do seek a lot of approval and praise and recognition on a regular basis. And, but maybe they have empathy, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's the first, again, it's the spectrum and it's the number of traits okay, and the intensity of those traits, right? The super okay. intense is more like even on the border of a antisocial kind of sociopath. So it starts with sort of like general maybe traits here and there. Maybe there's a there's a bit of um, Dr. Romney calls the benign uh, narcissist the one that just kind of needs the attention, but they're not right. going to abuse you or get reachful maybe at you or you know do any of that. They just need that attention. And so there are more like benign types, and then there are more like malignant, really sociopathic, harmful, malicious types. And so yeah. it's on that spectrum where we okay. fall. But usually um, I have to add too that when we've been in a narcissistic abuse relationship, especially long-term, we can kind of look and act like narcissists do. Mm. And that that's a kind of a trauma response.
4: Wow. So start to really emulate some of the behaviors that we've been seeing and or experiencing for however many months or years or decades.
5: Sure, sure. It affects us, you know, being in these relationships, they really, they cut us off from our true selves and our true ability to be empathic. Because if Mm -hmm. you've been in this relationship for years and years, it's like you run out of that energy, you go into kind of more of a self preservation mode. And that can totally look uh, selfish, and, you know, not caring about others needs. Or maybe even in your fight response, you know, can be kind of mean, you know, and mm. maybe critical. So we can kind of look like that when we've been in this kind of PTSD state for a Got long it. time. And again, it's self-preservation. It's not a, a, a core kind of dynamic internally for us. It's just like, how we've learned to survive, survive. in these relationships. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. I want to um, talk a little bit more, if you're okay with it, in just a sure. second about your sort of personal experience. And particularly mm-hmm. because you said you only realized during the divorce, which is so fascinating to me, because it means that you shared a home with your your partner, your spouse for however many years, I would assume, and only mm-hmm. saw this mask slip once You know, the undoing began. Um, yeah. Before we dive into that really quickly, just so that people can kind of understand the two buckets, can you really uh, briefly or succinctly just define the textbook narcissist and three traits that we might see there and a covert narcissist and three traits we may see there?
5: Sure. So with the grandiose, there's, um, there's more. Okay. So the general as well, or just the grandiose and covert? Oh, the kind of core traits, right? Because remember there's that umbrella. Okay, <laughs> well, you're like, there are so
4: we many have, narcissists, where
5: yeah, do you want me to start? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, the general umbrella of narcissistic core traits is, real quick, um, self-absorbed, entitled, demeaning, demanding, distrustful, perfectionistic, um, kind of snobbish, special, right? It needs recognition and approval constantly, unempathic. Um, unremorseful, compulsive, maybe even sort of emotionally detached, right? That's common. So that's kind of like big umbrella. But then when we look at grandiose, we have to hone in more on that um, kind of grandiosity, right? I'm so great. I'm so wonderful, uh, super successful. They usually look like presented beautifully, perfectly, um, very superficial, um, everything's sort of perfect. Think uh, Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, right? Mm. That kind of, mm-hmm. I'm so wonderful and great, don't you know who I am kind of thing. Right. The covert is more like the victimized, anxious, depressed, um, not grandiosity at all. More, again, like a hypersensitive, um, complainy. There's more like a quiet, passive aggressiveness Uh, Silent treatment's very popular with this kind of type, um, resentful, poor me kind of thing. Yeah. What was so that's that kind. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then there are there many more. And then there's that mixed bag that has maybe a component of the covert and maybe a bit of the grandiose at times, depending on how well, like you know, how their life's going, how much things are going their way. Okay. So if you'd like, we can go into each type or we can just skip. Yeah, I mean, I,
4: absolutely. That, that's what we're yeah. here for. I would love to okay. have that breakdown.
5: Okay. All right. So the next type that's at the, um, the end of the spectrum is the malignant. And that is where it can start to kind of look like a sociopathic, very manipulative, malicious, power-driven kind of person. They, they have more of that like willful disregard for people. Mm -hmm. Empathy can be turned on or turned off, right? So Mm -hmm. it's very, it's conscious, a little more conscious, right? There's a callousness to them. There's a real lack of guilt. And there may be more awareness to their behaviors than the other kind of narcissists. Um, These are more like aggressive, abusive, rageful, uh, vindictive, punitive. They're very, very controlling, bully. Um, and these that are the bad guys of, in the movie. These, these, are, the these are the bad guys. These are the <laughs> villains, but they're, but, but see, initially they're not, you know, initially mm. this one's the kind that could really turn on the, the charm and the, the charisma and the confidence. And they're very strong and like kind of intent that you'll get intense love bombing, um, typically with this type. And, but then it turns into real control. It isn't like typically in those movies, right, where the person becomes super abusive, but initially it was like this fantasy, yeah. uh, romantic, beautiful relationship. But, but yeah, they're the ugly, ugly types. Okay. That and can that's be the really mal-
4: malignant and, narcissist. Malignant,
5: yes. Okay. And then we have somewhere in the middle, the communal, which is usually the, the kind of do gooder, the one that kind of goes and feeds the homeless and, um, volunteers places and and maybe is religious or, you know, very, very beautiful appearance in public and very uh, masterful at looking good in in front of the public. But when you get home, it's sort of the same dynamics of, you know, anger, grandiosity, entitlement, lack of empathy, um, that kind of thing. But these are the tough ones because they, people really gaslight you. When they know, you know, this person out in public is a certain way. And then, you know, at home, they don't know what it really looks like when you go right. home. Right. And they're so like, what? they're, what? Are are you like, yeah. they're, like, you're saving what? the world. They seem so, amazing. totally. You should be so totally. lucky. And you're like, you, don't exactly. Understand. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and their supply is more like, you know, look, all, look at all the things I'm doing. Give me that kind of praise and recognition mm-hmm. for all the good things that I do for the world. And then we have the benign, which is more the like um, like the LA kind of uh, um, immature. These are all sounding like like, LA. I'm like, your name is basically (laughs) any person you'll stumble into in Hollywood on any given day. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. This is more like the shallow, though, needs to be out the photos, the Instagram, the, you Mm -hmm. know, like the kind of reality star dynamic. Yeah. And um these are more like emotionally stunted, kind of immature. Um you know, we call them like benign because they're pretty harmless. harmless compared to the others. Yeah, it's maybe yeah.
4: obnoxious and you really react to totally. all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Is it safe to Any- say then that the world we live in today, particularly with so, when people say social media is just creating a world full of narcissists, that obviously is an over-exaggeration, but if it mm. were to be true, would it be benign narcissists more
5: than anything? So, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if it's that social media is creating narcissists or mm-hmm. if the narcissists now have a really easy playground mm. to get their supply from right mm. it's like this is an easier place i don't even have to do anything i could just post a photo and look at all my likes and comments wow. and stuff you know and there's my little bit of supply for the day got it so okay. you know, really i don't know i don't know. Shift in yeah
4: yeah I, i'm inclined to agree with you there um with with the the social media stuff and the the benign narcissists and all of all of these things, uh maybe you look up one day and realize, oh my God, like I'm checking some of these boxes I don't think I wanna be this way. Like I don't I didn't realize I was coming across this way. Is there mm-hmm. such a thing as a reformed narcissist? Is that a possible thing? Or is this one of those things where once you get slapped with that label, it's like I'm uh-huh. I'm an addict all my life. Once I've uh-huh. I've realized I have this strutt- this struggle, I'll always be an addict, but I can be one who's sure. sober. Is that how it is with narcissism?
5: This is a really tough question to answer. And and I hear and from a variety of places, this is why it kind of gets a little tough for me because I have, my mind goes in different areas, right? My, my mind initially goes to, well, here's a very dangerous area to say yes to or no to, right? Because if I say yes, a lot of those drivers out there who are dealing with narcissists then have a little hope that if I just get this person into therapy, or if I just tell them about how their behavior affects me, they'll, they can change. Right. Right. And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes it's no. So that's sort of my first reservation to saying yes, because we have to be very careful. People in these relationships, they already have hope that Mm -hmm. maybe we can have those really great moments again. Right. Mm Because when you when you think about relationships with narcissists, typically it's really when it's good, it's really, really good. And when Mm -hmm. it's bad, it's really, really bad. And having said that myself to people when I was in it and I hear it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what we're dealing with, right? So in those moments when things are good, you have hope that it could always be this way. And you just really desperately want it to be that way because you have evidence it's that way. Like, what do you mean? Like, I it's not that it's potential. Like, I, I see it. I experience it when it's really good. So Not only that, but also the narcissist gives you that hope that if you didn't just blah blah blah, I wouldn't yell at you like this. Mm. If you were just more grateful, you know, I would I would stay. It's your fault that I'm leaving. You know, that kind of I don't know, those are the exact words, but they they make you feel like if you were just different, then everything would be okay. Things would be good all the time. So that's why I'm hesitant to say yes, because there's a there's a dangerousness to saying yes for survivors. It's really a case by case basis. Um, but two, you know, I, I have colleagues like in our world that I work with and uh, consult with, and some of them say absolutely not, no hope, you know. And some of them say, well, maybe, you know, if we have enough leverage. So if the narcissistic person doesn't want to get divorced because it makes them look bad to the public we could say, you know, we could kind of work on that. And and there's, there may be more to work through here because they don't want to lose this other thing, you know? So it's not that they don't want to lose the partner per se. They don't want to lose face in front of the world. And so exactly. And so we can kind of work and play on that. If there is still leverage, then maybe, but if there isn't leverage and the narcissist has like discarded you and devalued you, we can't, create any kind of change because they don't care to change
1: this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future it's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect
4: At this point, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your personal experience. As you'd mentioned, uh, you were married and only realized during the divorce that you were married that entire time to a covert narcissist. What did the marriage look like? I'm also curious, what did the courtship look like? And at what point did things go wrong?
5: Yeah. So um, like you said, initially when I met this person, it was really simple and easy and fun. It was a lot of fun, actually. I think that was one of the biggest things that kind of drew me into this person. But it wasn't an over-the-top fun. It was just a simple, young fun. You know, I was 26. No, I was 23 when we met, married at 27. Um, So I had plenty of years to get to know this person. And it sort of just was a good time. There wasn't any kind of love bombing or anything over the top. Um, I was experienced and learned in school what grandiose narcissist was, and I did not pick up on any of those kinds of big you know, signs. Um, but i did I do remember looking back now that I made a mental note that this person, one of their his parents is grandiose. Mm. And that was just it's funny because I re- would remember as I was studying for my exams, I would remember people associated with certain. Diagnose, diagnoses. And this person's parent came to mind when I was linking a person to that criteria. So I was well aware of what a grandiose looked like, but he wasn't that way. And I thought, well, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. This person's very humble and very down to earth and a lot of fun. And a lot of the friends, his, his friends would say how great he is and how wonderful a friend he is and how funny and how lucky I was to be with this person. And so I I thought, okay, I could relax, you know, and like you said, you know, um, my needs felt like they were important to this person. But over time the self-absorption and this entitlement kind of showed up more in, well, he wants to do what he wants to do and he doesn't care about what I want or how I feel when he does those things. Mm-hmm. empathy wasn't entirely a strong area for this person but i kind of chucked that up to culture you know okay men in my culture tend to not have a lot of deep empathy or emotional kind of juice to them it's okay. very more like rational thinking and very just and what, kind of
4: what culture is that specifically just for those middle eastern I, middle eastern okay yes
5: yes so and that's also a type of you know, narcissism as well, the one that kind of culturally has these traits passed down. Mm. So I kind of excused it. And there's that's where the excusing started to come up. And I didn't experience any kind of rage or real big anger with me, but I saw one really big experience with him and someone else. Mm-hmm. And again, I excused it. And the deeper you're in it, you know, years and years in it. The more you tend to excuse, right? Because you've invested, right. and and that's kind of where I was. I was engaged at that point and saw that and was like, well, yeah, I mean, I would be mad too. And I, I mean, maybe I wouldn't kick the person's car in, but I would, I would kind of, you know, I'd be mad if this. Wait, did that yeah. happen? Yes, it did. Oh my yes, gosh, you kicked a car in. Yep. Wow. Yep. And, you and you that so is the invested. quiet rage. And I was you... invested. Wow. Yeah. And I excused it. And it was never directly with me, right? So I was like, oh, it's just like that with other people maybe. Or maybe it was just this one time. And we find ourselves kind of doing that more and more and more, right? And so I was still all about marriage and we got married. And um, again, nothing huge, nothing really big as far as like abusiveness. But fights got uglier and uglier. Arguments got uglier and more below the belt, right? The devaluing started to come in. And once I had a child, it was like all on. Laid it on thick, right? Because I'm trapped. Yeah. Oh
4: my gosh. What an interesting point though. The children come in the picture. Now you're definitely not going anywhere. So that mask can just come all
5: the way off. You're stuck. It sure can. It sure can. And so I got it then from this person as well as the grandiose mother, mm. right? Grandiose mother co- would call me and say, you have a child now. You can't go anywhere. Oh, Straight up, you know.
4: Shereen, what did that feel like to you? Like, at what point did you realize, holy crap, <laughs> I'm screwed. Yeah. Like, I've yeah. got a
5: problem on my hands. Yeah. So when when yeah. did that light go oh, on. As soon as the baby came and the, the conflict became bigger and bigger and it was like, wow, this isn't just with me now. You know, yeah. during the marriage, maybe here and there it would show up, but it was less and less because I was supplying him. I was down to go out and have fun. I was down to drink. I was down to go clubbing. I was I wasn't getting in the way of his party life. Mm-hmm. But when we have a child and I say no, right? When I have a need and I say no, I, I would like to stay home with this infant, right? And not leave this infant with this person and that person. It was, well, I'm out of here. I don't give a shit what you want. Wow. I'm a- door slam. I'm out yeah. of here. Right. And that's when I started realizing, wow, this isn't just going to affect me. This is now affecting a young child. And I can't have this child see this. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's when I started to go. Okay, well, maybe you know, like every other survivor, I first said, all right. Well, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to do, look better, or maybe I need to give more attention to him, or maybe right. So you go inward and you think it's you, and then you go, wow. Well, even if it is me on some level, and I am contributing to this issue, which the likelihood is I was right. Mm-hmm. As a new mom, uh, my attention was all on this child. And I wasn't really feeding my marriage. But the issue is that with narcissists, often when you have a child, your attention is on the child. And the narcissist who was very used to getting that all the time now is like, well, I'm going to go get this elsewhere. You wow. know?
4: Even when it's so, their child that the attention e- is being, yeah. you know, bestowed upon.
5: Yeah. And that's a whole other topic. You know, it's a whole other conversation that we could have on what happens to narcissists when you have kids. But yeah. um, ultimately, I realized when things just got uglier and uglier, and I had to get out for the sake of the well-being of the child. Mm-hmm. You know? and, okay. and so it wasn't easy. But I, I think for me, I was lucky in having support. Because if you're in that position, and you're not working, and you are very vulnerable when you've just had a child very you need help, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of help and you're on no sleep and you're just kind of a mess, um, it's easier to stay than to leave Yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know? So I was lucky that I had the support to to be able to reach out to and say, hey, this is what's happening. Like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get that support to to get out. But it wasn't at all easy. It was very... The thing then becomes a, s- abuse post separation, which is its own thing. A colleague has kind of termed that post separation abuse mm. um, terminology, which is very real. Then the abuse comes out in other ways, financially. Well, like what ways? Financially, not, financial not paying, now? not paying support, um, getting the meanest, uh, biggest, most expensive attorney to just like tear you apart. Mm-hmm. Um, th- you know, anything, everything, you know, uh, wanting to kind of take the child because they know that the child means a lot to you. Like finding the things that you care about then and, you know, taking that from you as much as they can, even though they don't, they never maybe were invested in the child or cared about taking care of a child. Now, all of a sudden, they want 50% custody, for example, mm, you know?
4: Yeah, when you so, were under the same roof as me, you didn't have any right.
5: Yes. So it's more
4: about punishing you
5: exactly. than actually
4: doing a thing that means something to them.
5: Yes, yes. And the punishment is you know, I think in my situation was well, how dare you leave me? Hmm. How dare you leave me? Um, yeah. how dare you not listen to what I told you to do? How dare you, you know, do this. You're so ungrateful, you're so blah, blah, blah. You know. Oh. And then the covert can go to the world and say, Oh, poor me. She left me. She didn't let me see my child. She didn't do this. She didn't do that, right? So it's like yeah. everything gets kind of spun around where the covert's now the victim. And, and all the things they guy. did to you never. right, were just not discussed, not talked about, mm-hmm. or they were your fault.
4: How do you know if you're dealing with a narcissist or someone who's just angry and hurt and you know you're both just not fighting fair and the gloves are off? I guess. Sure. sure.
5: I think for a narcissist, there's more of a, uh, there's less of an ability to come back and repair, okay. you know? And the, the anger is very like blaming. Mm-hmm. There's a blame thing that happens. Like you go and you'll say, here's what I'm upset about. And then they get angry that, how, oh my God! You turn—you know—you're making me out to be this like horrible person. You know, you find it turned around on you all the time, mm-hmm. and narcissists—they behave in very cyclical kind of ways. You'll find yourself—you know—maybe love bombed or kind of put on a pedestal, devalued, and then kind of discarded. So it's very common that it—it it becomes this theme that if you watch, it's a cycle, and it's the same thing keeps happening different topics, different contexts, but same thing. And a a big way to know, you know, if you're dealing with a narcissist commonly is to check in and see if you have a lot of the symptoms of somebody who's dealing with one Mm. and, you know, right. Confusion, a lot of confusion about, wait, what the hell? Who's who, but this person's abusive to me. I know they are, they do these things that are really mean and rageful but maybe I'm making a bigger deal. Maybe he was just this, or maybe she was this, just having a bad day, right? So you, when you're excusing really abusive, bad behavior, when you're finding that things are always kind of your fault, when you're feeling really disconnected and detached, like very alone, very sad, depressed, helpless, hopeless, um, but then at times hopeful, like there's kind of this emotional mood swingy thing that happens too, when the narcissist is in a good place and things are going well, you're happy, things are good. And then when again, it's bad, you find yourself feeling like, I, I don't, I don't what do I even do here? I need, I, this is bad. I can't do this anymore. So what you could sometimes tell from your own.
4: I'm sorry, you said you can tell from your own.
5: From your own kind of experience, you know, if if you're dealing with someone who's kind of got this high level of narcissistic personality or narcissism here, you can tell from your own kind of experience, um, I think, more than saying, hey, is this person a narcissist or not? And at the end of the day, I mean, I think the label isn't really that important. If we think about it, it abuse is just abuse. You know, we get kind of caught up with a label sometimes. And I think, you know, if we think about how we're feeling and how we're experiencing ourselves in a relationship, if you're feeling devalued all the time, or you're feeling like super anxious and on, on eggshells, or you're feeling like really depressed, or you're feeling scared to assert yourself after a period of time, you know, it's important to then take a look at yourself and see, yeah. you know, how can I take myself maybe out of this or how can I manage this relationship? If it's a relationship that I'm not ready to let go of or that mm-hmm. I can't let go of, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't someone does look at themselves.
4: If someone looks at his or herself and thinks, Oh yeah, I'm feeling all of these things that she's talking about. I don't know. And, and you realize, I think I am with a narcissistic partner what advice do you give? Like, is it always leave no matter what? Is there even a world in which conversations can be had to remedy the situation and stay in the relationship? Like, what should we do if we feel like we're in a well, relationship with a narcissist?
5: The first thing is to not call them out as that, you know, mm-hmm. to not say, hey, I have did my research and I realize you're a narcissist. Like, that's, okay. that's never going to go well. Ever, ever. You're going to find it switching around on you real quick. <laughs> so um, I'd say educate yourself. A very key component of the healing that we do with clients who come to us is to educate them on narcissistic personalities and um, you know behaviors so that you can kind of catch it in real time and not engage in it. Right. Not explain or defend yourself when they're in that kind of place of blame right? Or if they're blame shifted, you kind of, it's a natural response to go, well, no, I didn't mean that what I said, what I was trying to say was this, that, and, the, and then you find yourself explaining. Mm-hmm. And that's not something we want to really do. We don't want to get engaged in don't conflict. Even give them the
4: opportunity it, don't even, yeah. You yeah in Cause really they'll bait you. you.
5: Yeah. They'll pull you, yeah. they'll pull you in real quick. It's really slippery. It's, to get slippery slope you know, in conversations. Mm. Um, the other thing is to really accept, radically accept what you have. Mm. What you have is someone who maybe at times is going to be really nice and really kind and maybe really sweet, and it's going to be exactly what you want. And other times it's going to be really horrible. And so if you can just accept that this is what it is and that there is nothing you can do to change that, then... Th- Grief is going to come up, of course, naturally. You're going to start to feel really sad and really upset. Yeah. Because the vision of what you thought is not what it is. Not the case. Radically accept what you have, right? This is what it is. Um, If there's kind of this component of hope or fear, that's what tends to keep us in these relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Hope or fear. Um, And, you know, you want to take a look at that. You know, what, what am I hoping for here? I can't hope anymore. Okay. I got to let go of that hope. So again, the first step is education. Um, another big thing is to have support, to have people who hear you, who understand you, who validate you. Validation is really big, really, really big. And people who so gaslight you, don't
4: you feel like you're losing your mind when you're being gaslighted. Exactly.
5: Yes, exactly. And people who don't say, well, maybe if you did go, you know, say this nicer to this person, that they wouldn't do. I mean, that really feeds the Mm self-blame that we already feel in these relationships. So I'd say, you know, educate yourself, get support. If you can, therapy is really, really helpful in managing these relationships. And again, no, we can't always leave them. These are not always, you know, it might be your boss, it might be your colleague, it might be siblings, parents, you know, people we may not be ready to leave and we may never, and you don't always have to.
4: So this is all really great information. You know, you kind of touched on this, uh, some of the things that you could consider doing if you realize you're dating um, or married to a narcissist. For this week's party trick, can you give us Three things to accept about the narcissist in your life, whether it's, you know, a lover, a friend, a, you know, potential partner, what do we have to accept?
5: Nothing you do can change them. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault. And you can still find happiness and connection through other relationships all of your efforts need not be poured into trying to get it here.
4: Mm, okay, really great. Is closure important when dealing with a narcissist when it's time to walk away? We have the letter to my narcissistic ex as sort of an sure. an outlet, a therapeutic outlet.
5: Sure, it is, but we have to be careful to not send it because it's just <laughs> not it. going to we're okay. not going to get what yeah. we want or need. I know. I know. <laughs> send it to a friend, send it to yourself. Um, you know, process it in your therapy, but no, no, don't want to. Don't the closure is not going to come from them, and it yeah. never really needs to. It's enough to come from yourself to give yourself that validation. In that, what your your truth is real, know, yeah. what you experienced is real, and you can validate that with yourself and/or with the people in your life who who believe you, who are on your side. The right. so, narcissist is only on their own side. Okay. So one man team there.
4: One man team, one man band, very toxic. If, if people are looking for more resources, uh, if they want to learn, if they want to work on themselves, if, if they want to figure out how to navigate, um, potentially a narcissistic partner or relationship, where can they go? What should, what first steps would you recommend we take?
5: I would recommend Dr. Ramani's YouTube channel. It is okay. wonderful and it's a really great place to educate yourself. I have a lot of clients that will I'll redirect to her YouTube for education and for some knowledge and good tips too. She offers, it's like the next best thing to therapy, I'd say. Okay. So that's a and really that's important Ramani? space. R- how do Ramani, you spell Dr. Ramani, R-A-M-A-N-I. Okay. And she's people- an expert.
4: If they want to follow you or, or maybe, um, California or Florida
5: for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So we do see clients in California or Florida, um, for therapy, but we offer international coaching. So narcissistic abuse coaching is also something we can do. And we, we tend to stay present, focused with coaching more like, here's what you can do. Here's where maybe you're supplying the person and maybe we could kind of pull back on that. So Getting support is really important here because you're kind of caught in the weeds when you're on your own. But if you have this person from the outside who gets it and is experienced in this kind of personality, um, then I think you'll feel much more supported and clear. And clarity is really important. A big part of the healing process is gaining that clarity. So clarity. Dr. Ami's YouTube Reach out to someone, if possible, who understands and really gets the dynamics of narcissistic Mm -hmm. abuse recovery, um, and read. There are some really wonderful books out there. My website has a portion on um, resources and books, so that's also a great space, and just educate yourself. Yeah.
4: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Shireen, thank you so much for all of your information, your wisdom, your knowledge and expertise today. Um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. I've learned so much uh, and I really appreciate your time. So thank you again. Thank
5: you. Thank you for holding the space. I think it's really wonderful. Thank you again to
4: Shireen for having that incredible conversation, for being so open, so vulnerable with some of you know the most painful and delicate chapters of her life and for sharing so much incredible expertise and knowledge with us. So I know I've certainly got some some takeaways, some identifying markers to keep in the back of my mind as I move forward, interacting with and getting to know people. And also um, some grace for people who may be exhibiting problematic behavior without mislabeling them or just diagnosing them <laughs> on our own um, as a narcissist. So I hope you got something from this one. If you did, uh, if there was anything that stood out to you or if you have your own story that you'd like to share, feel free to shoot me an email. Hello at HotHappyMess.com. Slide in our DMs at HotHappyMess or or my personal Instagram at Zuri Hall, Z-U-R-I-H-A-L-L. And I will talk to you next
2: week. Have a good one. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
6: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
1: in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
6: This is Uncanny USA.
3: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. <laughs>
6: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. at and connects an ode
0: AT&T.
3: Right Rug Flooring.